we should see on the screens, um, and also can get your Bibles. We're going to read Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to harm him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. A lot of people who are enduring intense faith-testing trials. And I've lived long enough and have been in ministry long enough to know that that is not the exception, but the norm. Um, how are we going to endure is the question I want to bring. Even more than that, how are we going to trust our Heavenly Father in the midst of these trials that we are walking through. Here we are at the first week of Advent, and we have the privilege to join the church looking back on God's provision in our darkness and in our suffering. He came into the world. He's not aloof to our suffering, but entered into it. And we need this reminder every single week. We, we light this, this candle. We think about what he's done in coming every year because we need to see tangible examples of how the Lord is present in our suffering. We see it in his word every single week. 
that so much of what we're doing here when we open up the word of God together is we're seeing examples of God's faithfulness to his people in the past so that we can trust that he'll be faithful to us right now in the present as we walk through tremendous difficulties and trials. So today we're going to see as Abraham walks through another test that God is not just a, a demanding God that lays heavy burdens and then says, deal with it. But no, he's the one that provides. Indeed, the thing that we need more than anything, the thing that Abraham recognized is that he had a great debt that he owed God. And that was going to be paid for through the blood of the lamb. That's my main point today. So let's go ahead and dive in together to the text. There's so much here. This is an amazing story. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Just kind of catch you up a little bit in the story that at this point, Abraham is, he's, he's been through all kinds of trials and, and yet he has been, he has been shown incredible faithfulness. He has his son that he waited for for a long, long time. He's been shown intense grace, called out of idolatry, a land of idolatry and, and himself an idolater and, and into a relationship with God. A special relationship, a covenant relationship that came with the promises of land and offspring and blessing. And so I imagine even though Abraham at this point hasn't experienced every blessing and every promise fulfilled in his life, I imagine him at this point feeling full. You guys know what that's like if you prayed for something for a long time and then you experience the, the blessing and the answer to the prayer and maybe you live in that joy for a couple different, a couple years. You, you feel full. I felt, that I felt full at Thanksgiving, at the feast this, this Thanksgiving. And, and I think he felt that. But it was just at this moment that we're told that God tested Abraham. Now, I, when I first read that, I was a little taken aback, even though I've read it again and again. As we're walking through this story, it seems like his life is only a bunch of tests. <laughs> like, it's like, 25 years, you said I was going to have a baby. You said I was going to have a land, but I'm a tent dweller. I don't have a son. You told me Ishmael's not the one. Like, over and over again, it's test after test. And here he is again with another test. I don't know about you, but I, I sometimes, I have a hard time not feeling like it, it's cruel. Like, have any of you ever asked that sort of question of God? Like, you know, we come through a trial. We, we were out on the beach, come through a horrible storm, as it were. We're laying there like, finally, we made it through. And then we, we lift up our heads only to see another storm brewing and God saying, Back out on the water. Let's go. And you're like, what? No! Like, why, why, why would you do that to me, God? And again, as I said, this is, not, this is not the exception, but it seems to be the norm in the Christian life and in the Christian community that, that we, we, if we're not already in a trial, we seem to have just come out of one or be going into another one. Older saints will testify this to you. Older saints know that this is true. 
And I admit it can feel cruel and disorienting. But here's what I want you to see here. It's God who tests his people and he has a purpose in it. Friends, the scripture says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised as if something was strange were happening to you when you endure trials. God tests his people. In, in these moments of sickness or barrenness or death of a friend or a loved one, it is so easy to just be looking everywhere, searching, what, who is it? What's the problem? Where's the sin? What is the thing? You're looking for somewhere to blame and I think what, what is right for us to do, even though there's a tremendous amount of factors and complexity in every element of our suffering, it's right for us to first look to the Lord because he is sovereign over all that we endure as his children. And we look to him and recognize that he's the one that tests and he does it for a good purpose. I want us to just quickly look at some more scripture to see the heart of our father in testing. Now, this is something that Abraham doesn't understand. He doesn't have the full picture, the full revelation of Scripture that we have, but we do at this point. And so we understand some of what's happening in this moment for Abraham. Just notice a few different Scriptures. Hebrews 12 should be up on the screen. It says this, For the Lord disciplines the one, read that with me, He loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. You see that endurance of trials, it's, it's a matter of discipline that we're enduring. It says in verse 11, there's, there's some, or I missed a piece there. God is treating you as sons. He's treating you as, a, as sons. And he says in verse 11, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later what does it yield? The peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So God's heart in testing, in, in this disciplinary testing, is, is that we might yield something good. A peaceful fruit of righteousness. This is why James is able to say, Brothers and sisters, count it joy when you face all kinds of trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfast all the way to completion, all the way to lacking nothing in our life. This is exactly what our Lord Jesus even suffered. It says in Hebrews that he learned obedience by what he suffered. And he became, he was made perfect. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Friends, do not be surprised when you endure tests and trials. We know the heart of our Father, and it is good for us. It is not like Satan who wants to crush us, who wants to tempt us towards shame and hurt and pain only. Our God, like a good Father, sometimes leads us to endure trials so that we will grow in His image, in His likeness, and in His joy and abundant life in Him. So here God tests Abraham, and it is a unique test. He's been facing tests, but the word test cues that it's something unique. It's a, it's a specific moment. So let's look at the test. One day he calls Abraham. He says, Abraham, 
Now, I don't think that this is like every single day for Abraham. We don't see that in the scriptures. We actually only have in a 25-year span or so, or maybe 30 years at this point or whatever it is, only a handful of times that God speaks directly to Abraham and calls him like this. Now, maybe there's more, but we don't see it. And oftentimes, the calls of Abraham, honestly, are scary. Sometimes they come with very, very happy things. And a lot of times, it's like, leave everything right now. Leave your home country, your family. Leave. But notice the posture of Abraham's heart here. Read those three little words that Abraham responds with, with me. Here I am. One more time. Here I am. I don't think that's the typical response that you might give your spouse from across the room. What, honey? You know, I don't, I don't think it's the across the room to your roommate sort of like flippant response. No, I think that, that Abraham's posture here is, is modeling something for us, modeling something that every Christian should, the way that every Christian respond, should respond to God when he calls One commentator I read said this, when Abraham said, here I am, it meant that he was ready to be taught. He was ready to obey. He was ready to surrender and be examined by God. When we hear the Lord call our name, and here's the truth, we hear him every single time he, we hear the word read, we hear it every time it's taught, in so many other instances. Friends, our response to the Lord should be, here I am, Lord, whatever you have, whatever the cost, I'm your servant. Then Abraham heard the shocking request, give me your son, your only son, Offer him to me as a burnt offering on Mount Moriah, in the land of Moriah. You you may be so familiar with this story, and I think even in your familiarity, I would hope that your your heart or your gut reaction is not, oh yeah, sure, what's the big deal? Uh, No, it's, it's like, God, are you serious? Like, first of all, God, what, what would you want? What would be the benefit of, of this offering? A child sacrifice? Is that really what pleases you? I'm sure that's what Abraham may have felt. He, he, he was surrounded by people groups. I think ancient Canaanite tradition, it was full of child sacrifice, and they were trying to please God. So they, uh, he understood something about that, but I'm sure there was still, as he's getting to know Yahweh, the, the one true living God, I'm sure there was a question in his heart, is, is that really what you want? Is this the practice? Is this what's going to please you? But even more, I'm sure there's this question, there's this question for me, like, after all these years, after the promise, 25 years waiting, finally it's here, and now he's like, give me your son? What are you doing, God? What is your purpose here? Praise God, we, again, we have the full revelation of Scripture. We know something that Abraham didn't know. We know that God repudiates child sacrifice. He rebukes his people later on in Scripture for practicing what the neighbors were practicing. We also know the end of this story. We get to see the beginning and the end together. But, but Abraham didn't know that. And so he's faced in this moment with a huge predicament, another fork in the road moment for him. And friends, this is the, the, the again, the, the experience of the Christian. 
with every test, with every trial that we're called through, God asks that we would trust him and that we would come with him, that we would follow his every word, that we would say, yes, Lord, whatever you say right now, I'll do it. He's either going to completely surrender to the Lord in this moment or he is going to say, I've got a better path. I've got a better plan. And that is the decision every one of us are faced with on a daily basis in our relationship with God. So what is God doing here? What is his heart? If, he, if he's not truly interested in child sacrifice, what is he doing? Well, I believe that in asking him to offer this costly sacrifice, indeed the costliest sacrifice, it's the hope of his family, it's the hope of his future, it's the fulfillment of the promise. In asking him to give this, what he's inviting Abraham to do is to show his full devotion and surrender to God. He's inviting him to say, Lord, I trust you, and I'll go where you go. I'll do what you say. This is what covenant relationship with God looks like. It's to say, your terms, not mine. I am allegiant to the Lord. I am not Lord. You are God. You are Lord. Now, but I want you to notice also in asking this, God's posture, his tone, it's not cold here. Do you see those words? He says, take your only son, Isaac. Take the son you love. God knows what he's asking. This request comes in the midst of a, of a process, of a history, of intimate relationship experience that they had together. God knows that he has promised that the, the offspring was going to come through Isaac. He knows that he has sent away Ishmael and that he's already suffered that cost, that loss. And yet he still asks of it from Abraham. He asks for all of Abraham. He asks for the costliest thing. And again, just bring it in into our context, friends. If you have a child, you cannot... Imagine what a cost it would be to ask to be asked this. Imagine that test. Imagine what he would have been feeling. Imagine the night that he spent. Who knows if he shared this with Sarah? Who knows what kind of wrestle he had all night long as he's sleepless and he has no appetite and he's wrestling with what he's about to do. And that's just when we read verse 3. These crazy words. Abraham rose early in the morning and he saddled his donkey and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And then just, just get the picture here. He, he goes on cutting the wood. That, this is why we need to slow down in scripture, right? Like just that one thing. Obedience looks like chop. Set it aside. Oh, God, why? Chop. Knowing that every single one of those logs is going to be the fuel that takes the, his son's life. He chops the wood. And we're told that he journeyed for three days. And I think the three days is significant just because of the fact that he had all these opportunities. Imagine three days of having opportunities to, to, you know, justify. Actually, I think this is a better plan. I'm going to go the other way. 
Right? Three days long, he makes steps of obedience, essentially the entire way there, offering his son on the altar with every single decision. His entire, every step of the journey is him saying yes to God. And how many times are we faced with a test? How many times are we faced with, with some sort of trial or, or burden that we, we maybe last for a minute and then we, we say, it's just too hard. We throw in the towel. God doesn't understand. They, nobody understands. Nobody gets how difficult this is for me right now. Friends, obedience to God requires continual, ongoing obedience. Ongoing obedience. How? How are we going to obey? Let's continue. I can't ask myself, why? How did Abraham do it? How did he make those sorts of steps forward without a fight? We don't even read about a fight here. He just keeps on going. I think that there are three primary assumptions that Abraham has, that he knows, that he believes, that keeps him moving forward. Two that, are, that, I'm, I'm impli- that I think are implied in the text, and then one that's really explicit. So let me start with those two. First, I think that Abraham knew who he was dealing with. This is not some local deity that he has to just try to please in, in his action to get a little, a little bit of favor. This is the creator of all that he's dealing with. There's a fear of God in this moment that says God gave life and he can take it at any second. I think Abraham assumes that his life does not belong to him. His belongings do not belong to him, but to the one who gave the life. Secondly, I think Abraham understood something else that is very difficult for us to understand in this day and age. I think Abraham understood that he owed a great debt to God. Christians talk often about payment to God, and yet... It's still something we need to be reminded of daily, is it not? Because we so often are just living our life as if like, hey, I, I'm pretty good. Like I'm doing, I'm doing good in this world. We're, we're comparing ourselves to everything else, everyone else in this world. And it leads us to really struggle sometimes to, to hear this sort of reality. You owe a debt to God. A great debt, a massive debt, an unpayable debt. It literally costs your life and eternity of separation from God. This is the sort of debt that I believe Abraham seems to understand. You see, there's sacrifice from the very beginning pages of Scripture. Right from the beginning, we see God covering the sin of Adam and Eve with an animal death. We see him covering we see him covering the, 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 their shame with, with the skins of animals. And we see next with his children, we see them sacrificing an animal. They recognize the debt that they owe to God. And we're told that, the, that Abel offered a pleasing aroma to God in giving this, this lamb, the first fruits of the flock. He's a keeper of sheep. 
We see it with Noah. He, he comes through the flood and he offers a sacrifice. Now here with Abraham, it, it, it continues. And it's just going to continue to expand this idea of sacrifice in order to pay a debt owed to God. Something else has to die if Abraham is going to live. I think Abraham understood that. We're going to see later Isaac asking a similar question. Where's the lamb for this sacrifice, God? There's an understanding from these people that there's a debt owed and there's a life that needs to be taken in order for the debt to be paid. I just want to ask you this morning, is that something that you understand? Do you understand that your life belongs doubly to God? (laughs) One, and that he created you, and two, that, that you owe a tremendous debt to him that can only be paid with life. The wages of sin is death. Friends, if that's not something that you live your life, if you don't live your life on those assumptions, I can tell you that there's little chance that when God calls you through a trial that's, that's extreme or if he asks you to do something that is difficult for you, there is little chance that you're going you're gonna to obey the Lord in that moment. Here's, here's what I mean. I, I think that so often you hear people losing their faith. One of the primary reasons people describe as losing their faith, it's because of this problem of suffering and evil. It's this problem where, where, where people are, are going through some tr- tremendous trial, some loss of family or friend or something else, some trauma, and they often come away just, just saying, like, God, how can God be good in letting me, a good person, suffer? So we put God on the judgment seat and we, we begin to conclude he just must not be good. And I would say to the person who's suffering and the person who's struggling with something like that, I, I'm seriously thankful that you're trying to understand God in the midst of your suffering. That's good. We should wrestle with God in the midst of our suffering. And yet... There's, a false, there's false assumptions that are leading you to a false conclusion, a false judgment about God. This is, this is what the, the problem is, is that we, do, we fail in those moments to understand that we exist only by God and for God. And two, that it's not God that is ultimately the reason for suffering, but it is sin that is the chief cause of suffering in this world. God indeed created everything good, And sin of mankind, rebellion against God's good world, brought death and destruction into the world. So, friends, I I believe that for us to understand, for us to be able to endure trials, for us to be able to go forward, we need with Abraham to understand those two assumptions. We're created by God and for God, and we owe him a great debt. Therefore, he can, he can ask us at any moment, at any time, to give anything to him. Now, here's the, the third assumption that I think led Abraham and that is that Abraham believed that God would be faithful to his word. And this is where we see that explicitly in the text. Look at verse 5. We're told that when Abraham saw the place the Lord called him to offer Isaac, he, he said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. 
I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. I, I don't think that Abraham is just telling a lie there. Like, they wouldn't understand if I told them what's about to happen, so I'm just going to have to make something up and then, and then go over there. I don't think that's what's happening here. I think that with this statement, Abraham is showing what he believes about God. I think that with this statement, Abraham is believing, he's showing that he believed that even if he acts and he sacrificed his son in an act of total devotion, that God was going to do something. That God was going to show up. The son that he promised would come the offspring has to live. God has to do something. He's coming back with me, he would say, to his servants, to these young men. And how did he know this? Well, rising against that, that moment's chaos, rising against all the anxiety and the questions and the fear, I think was whisper, it was the whisper of God's voice in his ears, reminding him, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. I think that Abraham in that moment was holding fast to the promise that God had made. He believed that if God said that, that it was going to come about. And it led him forward. Sometimes trials lead us to total despair. And we, we have a hard time feeling or believing any of the truths of God. And it is the, in those moments that we need one thing and one thing only. We need God's word to cut through our doubt. To cut through our questions. And bring assurance of God's faithfulness. And sometimes we need that. We need to just sit and read the scriptures. Sometimes we can't read the scriptures. And we need our brothers and sisters to come and say that same truth over us. But it is God's word that brought him to this moment. All of God's promises are on, on the line in this moment for Abraham. And he knows that. And rather than acting in fear and according to his own understanding, Abraham banked on what God had said. Listen to how the author of Hebrews frames up this moment. It's on the screen here. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. That is what faith looks like, family. Faith says, I don't understand. I can't see. I don't get what you're inviting me into. But I'm going to take my eyes off of the circumstance. I'm going to take my eyes off of all of these things. I'm going to, I'm going to pull myself through your word out of this emotion and, and trust that you, God, are the God of miracles. You are the God of the impossible. You are the one that opens the, the eyes of the blind. You are the one who raises the dead. That's what we see Abraham doing in this moment, that he puts his faith not in self, not in any other circumstance, but in God who raises the dead. Oh, that God would give us that kind of faith, church, that even if he calls us into that sort of trial, into that sort of test, we say, I trust the Lord. His word is enough. He's a God who keeps his word. Let's look at verse 6. 
And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it on his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so that they went together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father! And he said, Here I am, son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood is here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. I just want to highlight one thing that stood out to me in this section. is That, that is the question of Isaac to his father. Where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? This is the question that every wise sinner should be asking God. Lord, I owe you a great debt. Where is the lamb? Where is the payment for my sin? Where is the lamb? Unless we understand the need for the lamb, there is no understanding the need for Jesus. There's no coming to him. There's no staying with him. Friends, we have to understand that and be asking that. We need provision for our sin. Something innocent needed to die for Isaac to live. For Abraham to live. And this is what they understood from, from as long as they knew. But listen to Abraham's faith again. He says, God will provide the lamb. May I present to you that Abraham had no idea how prophetic those words would be. <laughs> he had no idea. God will provide the lamb. Listen now to verse 9 and following. I'm just going to summarize this here for us. Here we, here we are at the, at the mount. The moment has come. And he, he begins to build the altar stone by stone. It says he puts the, the wood in order. You guys know what it's like to build a fire just one, one step at a time. Then we're told he, he binds his son Isaac. He ties him up. Notice that there's not a struggle here with Isaac. There's a, there's a willing submission. And yet, I, I think also we could assume that Isaac is beginning to say, what, what are you doing? What, what's happening? But he continues to bind him. He continues to move forward and laying him up on the altar. There's just every single step. He's acting in obedience to the very word of the Father. He's listening. He's obeying. He's putting him up on the altar, laying him on top of the wood. Says he takes the knife out of, his, out of its sheath and he comes up and he's about to do it. I'm sure they're both beginning to sob and weep in this moment. And he lifts the knife. And says the angel of the Lord called him and said, Abraham, Abraham, don't harm the son. He says, now I know that you fear God. See that you have, seeing that you have not withheld your only son, the son you love. Do you know that your actions matter to God? That God sees what you do, every one of them, and he, he looks upon those things and the little things and the big things, and he says, now, I see. I see that you fear me, that you trust me, that you love me. Abraham's act of faith moves the heart of God. He says, I see that you love me, that you fear me in this moment, that you are devoted to me above all. Now, I, I think that the, the 
angel of the Lord speaking is significant here. And I don't have a lot of time to unpack this, but I believe that this could be the pre-incarnate Christ speaking in this moment. If you want to ask me about that, I'd love to talk to you about it. But I, I just want you to imagine with me the, the crazy implications of this. That in this moment, the one who would come for us, the one who stops Abraham from slaughtering Isaac is the very one who knows that one day he would lay, as it were, in Isaac's position and the father would not stop. The father would offer up his son willingly, freely. Jesus would go to the cross as an act of submission and as an act of love for us. Imagine that. He stops him in that moment. And then look at this in verse 13. Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. That is a male lamb. And Abraham went and took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering. Notice these words, instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Those words, instead of, are profound, church. What we see here is an act of substitution. God did, in fact, provide the lamb, just as Abraham, in faith, proclaimed. But it was so much bigger than he knew. From the day that that this happened, the people were saying, on the mount, God will provide. They didn't even understand what they were saying. Not until 2,000 years later when God would lay the wood upon his son Jesus' back and Jesus would carry that cross up the wooden hill. He wouldn't stop. He would go all the way. Even to the very last breath, he was obedient to the Father. And the Father didn't stop. He gave him. He crushed his son willingly. He offered him up as a substitute instead of you and I. Friends, we all owe a great debt to our God. And here we see God saying something powerful about his provision. He doesn't come and just say, you sinner. He comes and says, do you understand your state? You are in a death trap. You're walking in your sin. You're going to die. And you need to know that you have a great debt before me. And But I'm going to stand in your place. And I'm going to offer my son instead of you because I love you. The same words that, that were spoken by the angel of the Lord to, to, I, to Abraham could be reversed for us. We can say back to God, now I know that you love me. Now I know that you love me. Be seeing that you have not withheld your one and only son, the one that you love. Amen. Jesus went up the same hill. The scholars believe that Mount Moriah is the, it's actually in Second Chronicles, the exact place where Solomon would build the temple. So 2,000 years later, Jesus would go up the same hill or a similar hill in the same place, and there God would provide the lamb for our debt. Friends, we owe a great debt to God, and God has provided the lamb in place of our sin by the blood of the lamb. I just want to finish with some application quickly here for us. Um, 
When you read a passage like this, how, how should we live? What, what do we do in light of what we just read? Well, first, you must acknowledge, friends, that, that we need a lamb. We need a lamb. Maybe you're here today and, and the Christianity thing just is not making sense. Well, it starts there. If you don't understand your need for a lamb, you will not understand your need for Jesus. Second, you must accept the provision that God has given us in his son. You see in this moment that Abraham just simply reached out and he took the lamb and he offered it there in place of his son. And friends, it's as simple as that. We, we are welcome to put our faith in Jesus. Simple belief, simple reaching out. God invites you, come to him right now. Receive the provision that he has given. It is Jesus Christ. There is no other provision. There is no other lamb. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden with a burden of debt, and I will give you rest. I will set you free. I will give you life. It is Jesus who is the provision for our sins. So don't reject him. And if you reject him, friends, you still owe the debt. You still owe the debt before God. Third, if you've received Jesus, friends, I want you to hold fast to this same promise. Just as Jesus on the Mount of Calvary provided the lamb, so he will provide the lamb for you. So he will provide for you in your particular suffering, in your particular need, in your particular sin. God will provide the lamb. When you struggle to understand the moment of trial that you're in, God will provide the lamb. God will provide for you. When you're full of temptation and you're struggling to believe that God is good in the midst of the trial, hear that God has provided and he will provide for you again. If you're stuck in some sin and you are struggling to believe that God is, is sufficient, if you failed yet again, if you failed and you've sinned yet again and you feel like you need to work your way back into God's love, hear the, this, this, this good news for you. God has already provided the lamb. Your debt is paid, still paid in full through Jesus. God has provided the lamb for us. The very statement the Lord made to Abraham about his devotion, again, can, it can be reversed. We know that God loves us because he has not withheld his only son, his one and only son. And in family, lastly, if we know that we are loved by the Father in this kind of way, we can know that he is good in leading us through any trial through any test and we can keep walking forward in trust in obedience keep taking steps forward even when it's confusing even when you don't understand keep walking forward knowing that this is the heavenly father he doesn't leave you just to suffer alone friends he has come for us he's entered into our suffering you're not alone and friends, just as Isaac was figuratively raised from the dead and Jesus was literally raised from the dead, we know that one day soon we will be raised from the dead and we will no longer face these trials and these temptations any longer. That is the hope that will keep us chasing forward. Praise be to God. We thank you, God. Let's pray, friends. 
Lord, we worship you for what you've done. Friends, I don't, I don't want to just lead in prayer. Let's just call out to God out loud all together and just thank God for his provision. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Just raise your voices in the room. Let's just pray out loud and thank him for what he's done. Father, thank you for provision in this suffering. Thank you for your provision for every trial, for every burden, for every test. Thank you that you meet us in our suffering, God. Oh God, we ask that you would meet every suffering person in this room and that you'd help us even now as we come to the table and we receive your food and your drink. That we'd remember that you have provided everything we need. Come and meet with us. In Jesus' name, amen.